Resurrection Day, but also today is April Fool's Day. Now, uh, I'm, I'm not going to pull an April Fool on you, okay? I'm not going to tell you I'm only going to preach five minutes. I'm not going to do that. I don't know if you know how April Fool's got started or not, but let me tell you real quick. In the Julian calendar, which, calendar, which was started by Julius Caesar, the first Julius Caesar, uh, the, new, the new year always started on April the 1st. And that was the time that it started. Now, I'm talking about in the 400s back in those days, 3 and, three and 400s uh, A.D., but then there was a lot of confusion because they were trying to go by the moon and the sun and it never worked out. So in the 1500s, uh, they came up with the Georgian calendar. I think that's the way you'd say it. Uh, and this was a pope, Pope George, that started this. And he moved New Year's back to January the 1st. They added two, the calendar, the Julian calendar only had 10 months. So they added two months to it, some extra days to get it 365 days. And this ain't got nothing to do with the resurrection at all. I'm giving you a history lesson. Remember, we're going to ask questions at the end. Okay. So they moved, the, moved New Year's back to January the 1st. But there was a lot of people that still was determined they were going to celebrate the New Year on April the 1st. But because all, most all the population in Europe there had decided to do it in January, they got to be called, they called them April Fools. And that's how the April Fools Day came about. But then in some of the European countries, they picked it up and they began to put, uh, you know, put, play jokes on people, play pranks. And it got to the point and still today in a lot of places where they just do everything they can, you know, some people to see how sophisticated a prank that they can play. So that's what April Fool's Day is all about. It has nothing to do with anything at all, really, except that. Now, I looked up the definition of the word fool. And a fool, of all the definitions I could put together, comes down to this. A fool is someone who knows better, understands better, but is unwilling to Change to the better. Now, that's pretty tough, isn't it? Now, I would promise you that the biggest fool of all is not any human being sitting in this room this morning, okay? Put you at ease so you're, you can relax. I don't, I don't think any of you are a fool because I think you know better and I think you're working to do better and be better. So that's not you I'm talking about. But there's somebody that I want to talk about this morning. Now, I want to, I'm going to end up talking about Jesus. But there's somebody else I've got to talk about a little while so that you can see why I call him the biggest fool of all. Now, uh, the psalm says that, uh, in Psalms 14, I believe it is, only the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Now, with all the evidence of God that there is, how can someone say that there is no God? Now, I know people, they make up their mind, they're, they're, I'm going to be agnostic, I'm going to be atheist, I'm not going to believe this evolution stuff, and, I mean, this creation stuff, I'm going to hold to evolution, because I don't see how any 
one entity could speak and everything just come completely together. Well, I'm going to argue with you. I can see that, and I'm so glad that He did. I'm so glad that our creation, this universe, and us as people, and God's plan was not something that was left to chance. And that's all evolution is. It's something left to chance. God had a specific plan and a specific design when He made this universe, and He made it just exactly like He wanted it. I was talking to one of the teachers at school the other day, and we were talking along this line, and he, this teacher that I was talking to, he, he said, I, I do my best not to have anything about evolution in my classroom because I am totally against the, even the thought of it. And we was talking on, and I told him, I said, well, I'll tell you this, sir, I believe in the Big Bang Theory. And he, he you do? I said, yes, sir, I believe in the Big Bang Theory because I believe when God said, let there be light, light took off at a speed of 186,000 miles a second, and there had to be a Big Bang when that... I want to read you a couple of scriptures. First of all is Colossians chapter 2, verse 14. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Now this next verse is what I want you to really get. Having disarmed principalities and powers, He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Disarmed. I like that. Exposed. Put to shame. All the powers of darkness... All the powers of Satan, everything that Satan had in his artillery could not prevent this day from taking place. He tried, but he was unable. Now look with me in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 1, verse 18. And Jesus said, or verse 17, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, but he, he, he laid his right hand upon me, said to me, Do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and of death. Now this is Jesus speaking. This is is taking place after Jesus had gone to the cross and had risen from the grave, had ascended to the Father, sat down at the right hand of the Father, proclaimed righteous to all of creation because of what He did. And here John sees Him in this vision, this revelation on the Isle of Patmos some 60 to 70 years later. And he sees Jesus glorified. Not somebody beaten, Not somebody scarred up and bruised and wounded, but if you'll read these first few chapters of Revelation, you'll see how he sees Jesus. He sees him as someone that has his hair white, his his eyes show compassion, his garment is white, and he has gold all about him, and he's really, he he said it this way, he's really decked out. And he stood there and he said to John, don't be afraid of me. I'm the same one that you saw that had risen from the grave. 
Yes, then I had scars. I had I had places where the nails had gone in my hands and my feet and the spear in my side and the crown of thorns on my head. I had those scars in, but I want you to look at me now, John. I'm He. I'm He who's alive. I was dead, but that was only temporary. And now I am alive forevermore. And I've got the keys. I've got the keys. Now listen, let me tell you something, folks. There, it, it, I want to start, go back in my story to the beginning. When God created everything that He made, there's some time periods there that we don't fully understand, some, some hyphens you might say. But God made everything that He made. He made the heavens. And I believe when He made the heavens, He made the city of gold, the holy city, He made the tabernacle, and He made all the angels. See, angels have not always existed. They are created beings just like we are. And I believe God made all the angels that would ever be made at that time, in the beginning. And then He made the earth. He formed the earth just exactly like He wanted it. We had something in mind. Let me tell you. He had something in mind when He made heaven and when He made the angels. And it became more apparent when He made the earth and He made it like He did. And from that earth, God scooped up clay. And in that clay, He, he made an image that looked like His image. And He took that image and He breathed into His nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. I'm here to tell you this morning, everything that God made, all of heaven, all the angels, and everything on this earth God made for that man that was such a special creation for him. We don't read anywhere where that God took the time to form from the dust or form from the galactic dust any angels. He spoke and it was. He spoke and it was. He spoke and it was. But when it came to man, he formed man from the dust of the earth. Now something had happened. Something had taken place in the eternal portals of heaven, that caused a difficulty in the whole universe. And it didn't shake the force, okay? Y'all got what I'm talking about? Y'all don't watch Star Wars? <laughs> yeah, I remember hearing that saying, the force is being shaken. It didn't shake God because God knew just exactly what He was going to do. So I serve a God that knows everything. He's known the end from the beginning. And if He's known the end from the beginning, He's known everything in between. Now think about that this morning. Oh, the infinite. I'm talking about the, the infinite knowledge of God. To where that God knew before He made heaven and earth that there'd come a time, April the 1st, 2018, that you and I would be sitting in a church in thoughtful Alabama called Victory Fellowship. Wow. You think Satan can mess with his plan? You're here, aren't you? If he could mess with the plan of God and, and keep it from coming to pass, you wouldn't be here this morning. But you're here. Oh, I'm telling you, folks. God is so good. His love is so great. Now, God, somewhere in that, God had made the angels. He made, from what we can understand, three at least three archangels in heaven. He made 
Gabriel, which is the messenger angel. You see him giving messages through the Bible. And he, he made Michael archangel. And we see him at times leading in war and, and going out to war. And then he made Lucifer. Lucifer. Son of the morning, he's called in one place. And he made him the archangel over praise and worship. I want you to look with me for a moment in Ezekiel chapter 28. But something happened. Something happened in this. One day, Satan decided that he didn't want to be this anymore. That he wanted now to be at least like God if he could not be God. In Ezekiel chapter 28, as we begin reading in verse 11, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God. You say, now wait a minute, this is talking about the king of Tyre. Is Tyre sin? Is Tyre hell? No, but there's times in the Bible, if we could understand it and would understand it, that he speaks to a man, and but as he's speaking to that man or somebody on earth, He's actually speaking to Satan. You remember when Jesus had told His disciples in, in Matthew chapter 16, He said, I'm going to Jerusalem, and they're going to persecute me. They're going to crucify me, and I'm going to be killed. And, and, but then I'll rise again the third day. And so uh, Peter said, no, you can't do that. And Jesus looked at him and said, get behind me, Satan, because you're, you're an offense to me. So He's talking here. Not so much to the king of Tyre or an earthly king. He's talking to Satan. And so as we read this, we'll see that he could not have been talking to an earthly king. He said, You were the seal of perfection. No man but Jesus has ever been that. Full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Now think about here. Satan walked up and down and was even in the garden of God and and uh, every precious stone was your covering. He was beautiful. And not only was he then, but he's beautiful now. Every temptation that Satan comes and throws at us, very few of them are ugly. Very few of them, unless he's trying to instill fear upon us. But he's enticing you to sin. He makes it look good. He makes it feel good. He makes it taste good. And so if he's leading you into sin, it's always something beautiful to begin with. And the book of Hebrews calls this, says there's pleasure in sin. But it's only for a season. So he was beautiful then. And, and I want you to know Satan is not running around today with, with big pointed ears, a red suit on, and a long forked tail carrying a pitchfork. Now we, we picture him that way. But that's not him. That's images that he'll portray to try to put fear upon people. But why do you think the commercials for alcohol are so beautiful? Why do you think that the commercials for so many things and are beautiful? Because Satan, is his temptations and his allurements are that way. Let's read on. He said, Every precious stone was your covering, the sardis, the topaz, and diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold, the workmanship of your tabrels and, and pipes, timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. Now think about this. All kinds of instruments was found in Satan. You say, well, how can this be? Well, this is an angelic being and this is God that we're talking about doing this creating, okay? So he, he had every type of music. He had the stringed instruments. He had uh, the, the wind instruments, the percussion instruments. All of these were in him, and he used these instruments 
to lead worship to Almighty God. He, would, he was the one that would, would lead the angelic beings in worship. And He would lead worship from the earth all the way to heaven. He says this, You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created to listen till iniquity was found in you. What happened? I believe that Satan desired the place of God at least to be like God. And iniquity was found in the heart of this being that God had created perfect. Pride came in. I want to be above God. I want to at least be like Him. But I want to have control. He, and, and he said, I want someone to worship me. You remember Satan took Jesus up on a, uh, the, the high mountain and showed Him all the kingdoms of the world. And he said, these are mine to give you if you'll just bow down and worship me. Satan, let me tell you folks, the things that we do that are contrary to God are worship to the devil. By the abundance of your trading, that's conniving and trickery. You became filled with violence within you, and you sinned. Therefore I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fire stones. Satan was cast out of heaven. Lucifer was his heavenly name. And he was cast out of that domain in the heavenly portals. No longer able to enter into the presence of God with praise and thanksgiving in his heart. And it seemed like that all praise then became a hushed kind of thing. The morning star didn't sing. The heavens were quiet. There was no praise. There was no worship because of this sin that was found in this one's heart. Isaiah chapter 14 adds a little bit with that. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How are you cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations? For you have said in your heart, listen to what he said, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also on the mount of the congregation. On the further sides of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the Most High God. And listen to these damning words that he spoke. I will be like. The Most High. Oh, I think of people that, that in this day and time are making those same kind of statements with their words and with their life. But God said this. He said, Yet you shall be brought down to shoal to the lowest depths of the pit. Satan was cast out because of his pride, his arrogance, his desire to be worshipped was not fulfilled. According to what we can understand through the Bible, He led a third part of the angels. He deceived them and led them in rebellion. But they were thrown from heaven. And the Word of God says that these angels are reserved in everlasting chains of darkness against the day of perdition or the judgment day and of ungodly men. Folks, God did not desire for there to be a hell. But hell was created for Satan and his followers. Satan lost his dominion. He lost his name. He lost his position. Now he sees God here in the garden making a man. And he tells this man, God does. I give you everything that I've made. Everything. 
have dominion over the works of my hand, over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air. And immediately, I believe, Satan set out to bring man down. Wasn't long do we see that he came and in the garden he said to Eve, Has God said that you shall not eat of every fruit of the garden? And she said, Oh, yes, God said we're not to even touch it. But he deceived her. She took it and he gave it to her husband. I'm, I'm having to condense now so I can move on, okay? She, she gave it to her husband. And God came and judged that sin, cast them out of the garden, moved them out of the way. But now then Satan had what he wanted. What did he have? He had the allegiance of man. He had someone on this earth created in the image of God that would worship him, that would follow his lead, that would do what he wanted them to do. But God said, no, this is not the end of this thing. He told Eve, said, Eve, your seed is going to crush his head. He'll bruise his heel, but your seed's going to crush his head. I want you to know at that point in time, folks, God was not saying to Satan, hey, look, Satan, man, you're going to fight. No, God said to Satan, I win. I win. Plain and simple, devil, I win. And you say, well, boy, if God, if God has already won, then why is the devil so hard on me? We're going to get to that in just a minute. Let's, let's go move right along. We follow through the Old Testament. We see prophecy after prophecy of this promised seed coming. But we see then Satan jumping in there. Now then, Cain and Abel's born. Abel brings an offering that's satisfactory to God. And what happens? He he come upon Cain and had Cain to kill Abel because in Satan's thinking, Abel was the promised seed. But he was not the one that God was talking about. But Satan got rid of him real quick, you see. Moved him out. And then you come on down to Abraham. And he told Abraham, said, you're going to have a child. And in that child, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And Satan said, oh no, that's the promised seed. I've got to do something about this. So after walking in faith and, and the child didn't come, then there was a, an ungodly plan to bring in a handmaid, and ha, a Hagar, and he had a child by her. But God said, that's not the one. And that one was cursed. He was never able to come into the blessing. But that one was born of Abraham. And that's the reason we see so much junk going on in the Middle East today is because of the two factions. Isaac was born. I think Satan rejoiced that day when Isaac was about 15 or 16 years old and God said to Abraham, take your son, your only son, up to the mountain. I'll show you. And they're sacrificing him. I, I, I can imagine Satan just having him a fit. Oh, the promised seed. God's going to kill him himself. But no, God was showing through prophecy that there was going to be a hill, a mountain there, Moriah, called Jehovah Jireh, meaning the Lord sees and makes provisions for it. Oh, God was just adding to it. But you know, God, He didn't kill, he didn't kill Isaac. But you come on there, Jacob and and, and, and I mean, we can go on and on with this. And then they brought them into Egypt. Satan said, if I can get them in bondage, then they can't grow and surely the promised seed won't come. They were there 430 years, but God let them out with a strong hand. Then we see a man like David, a man after God's own heart that God raised up and anointed to be king over Israel. And Satan said, oh no, this must be the one. I've got to do something about this. So he caused the situation with Bathsheba to come about. Caused David to be a man of war. And listen, that didn't stop it though because God came. When David repented, God came and He said, Your throne is established forever. 
What Satan's trying to do, he's not going to be able to get it done. On we go. We come down through the Old Testament and we, we look into the New Testament. And early in the New Testament, we find the story of where the, the angel spoke to Mary, a young 17, 18-year-old girl. He spoke to her and said, you're going to have a son. She said, I, this don't work. I'm not married. He said, she, he said to her, don't fear, God will do this. Now, she wasn't even married yet, like she said. She was engaged. And, and in that day, she could have been stoned to death for adultery. Joseph could have put her away and not had anything to do with her, but God chose to bring them through this thing. She, he, he took her when she was nine months. And think about this, you ladies. Nine months riding a donkey for days and nights to go from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Riding a donkey at full term. Getting there. No clean place to have a child. And this child's born in a stable. Every way that Satan could. And then, then he thought, well, surely this can't be him because the Son of God is going to crush my head. He can't be born in a stable. But before he was two years old, Herod put out a decree that all the boys under two years of age should be killed. But God had then come on the scene and said to Joseph, said, take him down into Egypt and keep him there till I tell you. So he, he, he came back. He grew up. Started his public ministry. And time after time after time, you read that Satan tried to kill Jesus. Tried in different ways. He, he tried to stone him. I mean, in his own hometown, they took him out on a hillside to stone him. And Jesus just passed right through the middle of him and went on. Other times they tried to stone him. He was asleep in the bow of a ship and a storm came to try to sink him, but he just said, peace be still, and the winds laid down. All through his life. All through his life. Satan tried his best to do everything he could to keep Jesus from going to that cross. Because he knew on that cross he would shed his blood, the blood that would wipe away sin out of every person that would come to Jesus. He tried through the beating that he took, a beating that would have probably killed any of us, would have never been able to drag that cross. Think about that. I can, I can picture Satan saying, I got him. I got him. I got him. But all oh, listen, nothing could prevent Jesus from going to that cross. All the power, all the hatred, all the venom of hell could not keep Jesus from going to the cross. There they mocked Him as He hung on that cross. Life going out of His body. They'd already put the crown of thorns on His head. They'd beaten His back until, according to what we understand, His back looked like ground beef because of the beating that He took. And not just His back, but those tongs would wrap around him and pull the flesh and and it was not beautiful but it was beautiful think about it Mm. they put the nails in his hands and his feet they come and they pierced his side and the blood and water came out my blood your blood my forgiveness and your forgiveness then Jesus said his last word, it is finished. 
and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. I don't think Satan really knew what to think at that point. I don't think he knew, knew whether to shout or to cry. Maybe he thought, we've got him. We've got him. Death. Oh yes, death has always helped everybody except some that he pretended to raise from the dead. I can just picture Satan saying this. You know, they wasn't really dead. They were just asleep. But death won't let anyone go. Got it. I got it. I can, I can picture some kind of celebration going on in that satanic realm. I can picture some joy taking place. Satan... Now then, I've destroyed God and I can be king of the world. Jesus said in the book of Matthew, He said, As Jonah was three days and nights in the heart of the earth, so must also the Son of Man be three days and nights. Or As Jonah was three days and nights in the belly of the whale, so must also the Son of Man be three days and nights in the heart of the earth. But he'd already told his disciples, I'll rise again. They put him in the tomb. They sealed it. I mean, they put a garrison there to make sure that nobody got him out, that he couldn't come out. But just as we sing this morning, the words that have come forth in our songs and, and, and from the Holy Scripture, let me tell you something. Jesus, on that third day, rose. But I believe that Jesus went in the heart of the earth. And I believe that Jesus began to walk the corridors of hell. And I think that Satan began to realize, hey, there's something going on here. What, what is this? What's this shaking? What's this that's taking place? And I can just see Jesus walking walking through the corridors. And right before all the demons and, and, and all the, the decrepit spirits of all time, Jesus walked right up to the devil and he didn't know what to think. And Jesus reached up and took man's crown of glory that Satan got in the garden. And he took it off of him. And he walked away with it. It was Sunday morning by now. And he rose out of that grave. And the Word of God says that when he rose, he, he led captivity captive. You read it in Ephesians 4. Oh, listen. In those days, paradise was the upper regions of, of what we call hell. It was not a place of torment, but it was a place of rest. You remember Jesus told the thief on the cross, this day you will be with me in paradise. And so when Jesus ascended into heaven, He said He led captivity captive. And He gave gifts to men. But what did He do? Paradise was moved into the very portals of Almighty God that very day that Jesus rose from the grave and ascended. You remember He told Martha, said, don't touch me. I, I, I've not yet ascended to my Father. I must go. And He went. And He went. But I, I, listen, I think about can I have a few more minutes? I've got to have anyway. I think about here, they're in paradise. And that great gulf that's fixed between them, they could look over because you remember the, the, the rich man said to he could see him, he could see Abraham in his bosom, and they could see back and forth. And Abraham talked to the rich man that was in hell being tormented. And I can see these Old Testament saints up there watching this whole scenario unfold before them. I can hear Adam say, that's it, son. The father said, you'll do that. Go, go ahead and crush his head. I can see Abraham, hear him 
saying, oh, the promised seed that's going to bless all the nations. I can, I can hear Moses saying, hey, look, that's that prophet like unto me. I can hear uh, Balaam, that, that wicked prophet, even saying that, that I, I didn't see him, but I see him now. Then, uh, then David said that he's the king of glory. This is the king of glory. Isaiah said he's wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father. Jeremiah said he's the righteous branch. And Ezekiel said he's the four-faced man. He's that wheel in the middle of the wheel. Daniel said, look, there's the stone that was hewed out of the mountain that's going to destroy all the kingdoms of the world. Oh, let me tell you, folks, we could go on and on with that. But in Psalms 24, David said, look, he said, lift up your head, O you gates, and be ye lifted up your everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord God mighty in battle. He's the King of glory. Listen, folks, I'm here to tell you today that Jesus, I believe, rose from that grave. I don't know if it was on April the 1st or not. He came out of that, brought those Old Testament saints with Him. And I believe just somehow or another, I believe that if it had been that, He'd turn around and said to the devil, April fool. Hallelujah. No, there was no April Fool in it. It was God's plan from the beginning. I don't serve a defeated Savior. My Savior is not still in the tomb somewhere. I, I have never been there, but I've talked to people at Howe where they feel that the tomb is and it's empty. Nobody's ever seen anyone in that tomb except some angels after Jesus rose from the grave. All that Jesus did in His, de- in his life, in His death, in His resurrection takes us back to what God did with the whole universe, the earth. God made all of that for man. Jesus did everything that He did for you so that you would not have to walk through the chains that Satan has and be bowed down, bent down in a life of sin, unable to escape, and then end up spending an eternity in hell with the devil. He's made a way of escape for you today. Who's the biggest fool of all? Satan is. He is. But can I say this to you without being ugly and blunt? From the Word of God and the story and the picture that's been given to you this morning, if you leave without knowing you're right with God, you fall into the same category. Don't let that happen. Don't let that be you. Would you bow your heads with me for a moment?